0: Well, good morning. And um, thank you so much. Hasn't it been just a lovely time together this first Sunday of our new year? And um, thank you, Beth, for the blessing you started us with and the reading and for the music team. And Jenny, I just love that palms down, palms up to receive blessing prayer. That was beautiful. And I hope you were able to release some things and be ready to just take on what God has for you today. So the passage that Beth read earlier included those lovely verses, which are the ones I actually volunteered to speak on initially, the nice ones, like therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And um, and then I sort of felt a sense that maybe I needed to speak on the next passage in Colossians, was a little bit trickier. Um, so our message today is from Colossians 3.18 to Colossians 4.1. And in my Bible, it has a heading, Instructions for Christian Households. I wondered why after dealing with freedom from human rules in chapter two and then all this lovely advice on living holy lives, that Paul would follow with a new set of rules. And um, so I plan to explore that a little bit more today in the context of um, the social setting of the day with established household codes, which would have been well known by the first century listeners to this letter to Colossians, and how that applies to us today. What we look at today, and that is too hard to read, I don't expect you to, Um, we'll do it smaller when we get to the bits that we'll actually read out, but um, what we look at today really leans into our church mission statement, um, which I think is coming up soon, which we probably all know, growing deeper relationships with Christ and each other. And I really wanted to call today's message a higher calling to deeper relationships. So the people of Colossi, um, and we've heard quite a lot about them in the last few couple of months now, were living in the radical freedom that came from being God's holy people. They were qualified simply by faith in Jesus, without any reference to their social standing or obligation to first become Jews and abide by the whole law. Roman citizens were known to be dismissive of Christians as uneducated, made up of mostly slaves, the poor, a lot of women and widows. But it was actually to these people that the message of the gospel was really good news. The gospel was a great equaliser in a very unequal society. As we read in Galatians, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This powerful statement is actually a response to the traditional Jewish blessing prayer. And um, we've probably heard about it before, but Jewish men, and it's established as a long standing traditional prayer, would pray something along the lines Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a slave. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. So this was a well-established prayer of thanksgiving and seen to be a blessing. And I think Paul just speaks to that so beautifully. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So how do we go from understanding that degree of freedom to a direction for wives, children and slaves to submit? Understanding this, particularly as it pertains to wives and similar passages about women's roles has been a personal journey with me. for me and I guess I'll share some of that with you today. I think this is a picture of me when I was not quite too dressed for the Sunday school anniversary For people who need detail, my mother would have beautifully made that little ensemble for me. And my hat, made by my mother's nana, was one of the styles where you had double crochet with little loops. So it was all covered with little loops over it. So it looked like one of those. Those big hats for ladies were were quite steep. So I had a real ladies-like hat on that I loved. Um, So I guess, um, see the... The handbag. I think you can see that detail. And the little Bible was a New Testament that was my mother's that I would take to church every Sunday and I would sit there and hold it very quietly on my lap and very gently open the pages and look at it and imitate. I was a very good imitator. I observed all the rules around me and I tried very hard to do them all perfectly. <laughs> so I'm a rule observer and strict keeper from way back. And I... Um, I was certainly immersed in a sincere traditional understanding of New Testament teachings, including the exhortations for women to be silent in church, to wear hats and submit to their husbands. My mum actually recalls an incident when I was quite young. She noticed me sitting quietly crying in church. I would not answer her whispered questions of what was wrong. I think I didn't have my hand, hanky in my handbag that day. Um, but later when pressed, I said, ladies are not allowed to talk in church. So I think she would have rather me obey her. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, I was a little bit stubborn as to keeping rules. I guess I have been part of four churches in my life and in all of them, I have felt safe, nurtured and respected and I have been given opportunities to share in ministry. In my childhood church women did not speak at all in services. It is fair to say though that the ladies in my church spoke fairly freely outside the formal church meetings and I have no sense of men being authoritarian and my observations of families were that love and and respect abounded. I think propriety in worship was seen as a very strong scriptural principle and that was the context for the rules that were strictly observed. So while women didn't speak in church or attend business meetings, opinions were valued and a fair proportion of weekly church business was probably settled at our weekly Sunday fellowship lunches. Women there, and I imagine quite similarly here from things that I've heard, um, were very proactive with organising hospitality, events, missionary support, women's study groups and teaching Sunday school. Um, so, from that background, I very hesitantly stepped into a worship leading role in our church in Melbourne in the late 90s. I had all those voices from my childhood doubting whether that was the right thing to do, but as I guess Roger has always been a strong advocate for encouraging me to think more broadly about things, and um, and I certainly felt the blessing that came with trusting God to strengthen me to serve in a new role. And I have appreciated the opportunity to serve in the varying roles open to me over nearly twenty years now here at UBC. Jesus, a game changer series, which we looked at a few years ago. Um, was very helpful for me in looking at the very radical acceptance of women and children that Jesus demonstrated and the freedom that women had in the early church um, as a result of that. And there were lots of things pointed out that I'd never been aware of, even reading Colossians um, as I've been reading it lots recently. There's a there's the... Um, greeting to Nympha and the church in her house and I thought oh I didn't know there was a lady that was addressed specifically and had a church in her house and um, went back to my old King James Bible and noticed it's actually Nymphus and the church in his house. So what's happened is that as, as further early Greek manuscripts have been discovered it has been noted that the earlier more reliable references actually suggest that it was a lady, not a man. And so it was common that a lot of the women who had opportunity, whether they were their husbands, may have traveled, they may have been widows, so they had houses that churches met in. And so there was a there was certainly a big role for women in those days. I have had to face up to the fact that while my experience of a traditional understanding of scripture has overall been a really positive one. Because all the rules have been applied with a lot of love and grace But for some people there has been a lot of harm done with misdirected teaching And sometimes rules are applied with no love and no grace Uh, Scripture should never be used to justify violence, control or manipulate others And it breaks my heart when I hear of women who have been sent back to their homes and told to submit to abusive husbands. This is extreme, but domination at any level should not have a place in a faithful community of Jesus. Jesus points us to radical humility and servanthood, not hierarchical structures. We are called, above all, to love and submit to one another. So our passage today has two parallels in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5, 21, 6-9 and 1 Peter 2, 11-32. And interestingly, both address relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. It is helpful to understand these passages as a Christian response to the standard household codes of the time. The Greco-Roman world placed significance on the order of the family unit. It was sort of a building block for an ordered society. So the idea was the free man ruled over his household as a sovereign would, um, exercising authority over his slaves, his children and to a lesser degree, his wife. Um, wives could apparently go back to their fathers to appeal for justice too. Um, the understanding was that men were by nature fisher for rule. So in this context, Paul's version of the first century household code was a practical advice on how to live as Christians in the situations people found themselves in. So they were really the main relationships that people had to deal with. Their their partners, their children, their slaves in their households. And so that's what the first century Christians needed to deal with. They needed to deal with how do we live in this arrangement. So rather than saying that doesn't apply because of all your freedoms – He didn't try and turn over the household codes, but he transcended them into something higher and deeper. Every member of the household, including its male head, was to live under Christ's lordship above all. And interestingly, Paul choosing to address wives, children and slaves before he addresses husbands, fathers and masters is quite radical. As the standard codes really just told men how to apply their authority, (laughs) anybody else didn't really rate a mention in in what their roles were. It was just the man's role to to lead. Um, So the early Christians walked a fine line to avoid conflict with the authorities. And Paul's advice actually gave wives, children and slaves quite a clear way of living in their new freedom without causing a scandal or risking imprisonment or or breaking what was the established codes of the day. So to our passage, wives submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives are addressed first. As free women in Christ, being asked to voluntarily submit to their husbands, and are also offered a reason, as is fishing in the Lord. If they had been in Ephesus, they would have this passage would have been immediately preceded by submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which puts the whole passage in a different connotation too. Husbands are then reminded to love their wives and not be harsh with them. Wives being asked to submit according to the law of the day was not unusual. But in the context of arranged marriages, the call for a husband to love their wives was a reminder that the new creation values that the apostles were teaching were very relevant in their homes. It's not just a high and mighty call to love one another. Husbands were called to really apply this directive at home in the way they love their wives. Children were reminded to obey their parents. And note that it's parents, not just fathers. The mothers didn't rate a mention in the household codes of Aristotle, but Paul addresses children obeying their parents, again with an offered explanation that this pleases the Lord. Fathers, rather than being reminded to maintain authority, were advised not to embitter their children to prevent them being discouraged. Slaves were reminded to obey their masters with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Paul then made a call to masters to be right and fair, remembering that they also have a master in heaven. It is clear that our cultural setting is quite different. Thankfully, we do not have legalised slavery in the way that it was allowed historically. Although, to be... To put that in perspective, with current human trafficking, there are more slaves in our world than ever before, which is heartbreaking. But it's not really the type of slavery that Paul was addressing here. Children have rights. Australia is actually signatory to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And ladies, we are not the property of our fathers or husbands. So how does this passage apply to us today when modern society has actually caught up with the freedom of the gospel? We don't look to these scriptures anymore for advice on slavery as we accept that it's no longer relevant and we are abhorred when we hear of the human trafficking and the slavery that goes with that in our world. Much of the wisdom that's in this passage is applicable in our workplaces. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It's such timeless wisdom. So there is wisdom there that that transcends. Yet emphasis has still been given to the advice on ways men and women relate, even in very recent years not really with reference to the cultural setting and sometimes to the detriment of understanding our freedom in Christ. I suspect that most sincere Christian wives have a story of a time they were convicted to submit to their husbands on an issue and that God honoured that. I also suspect that most sincere Christian husbands have been convicted to love in a self-sacrificial way that God has also honored. I actually struggle to see the difference between the call to submit and the call to love. And if we add in the submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the advice to both parties in a marriage is really very similar. And I think that's so much of the wisdom that Paul brings into this passage to remind people that ultimately it's their relationship and how they respond out of reverence for Christ that is so important. Much of the sentiment behind these instructions is still so very valid. And rather than looking at the three issues that we're facing today, with the, the three levels of control, the power struggles in our world are very different for us today. There are major inequalities. And I think the challenge is, if we have any power or privilege, we need to humble ourselves too. We need to love, we need to listen, we need to surrender power and treat all people as our equals people created in God's image and loved and valued by him. If on the contrary, we face suffering or inequality, we can, as Paul directed, live with a sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, knowing that he understands. And there is so much depth It's not a message for today, but in understanding the suffering of Christ and strengthening our own difficulties through that. We are all called to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who although he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his advantage and we know that instead he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Healthy relationships of any type should not be a power struggle. I think sometimes, speaking as a wife, it's easy to hide behind defer to my husband Um, and I know that I'm called to stand up to make the choices that God is calling me to make. The other big struggle that I have is that I um, have a tendency to like to be in control and it's it's a real stress management thing for me. My family sort of noticed that And they notice the negative impact that is in our family when I'm feeling overwhelmed and not in control. And it certainly does not contribute to peace and harmony. Ultimately, learning to surrender that need for control to God is incredibly freeing. As I breathe out those I can't statements and breathe in, you can, Lord, the paradigm shift is powerful. In all our relationships with each other, whether it's husband and wife, child and parent, parent and child, our friendships, our church community, our wider community, we relate to one another as one holy child of God to another holy child of God. When we stand secure in our position, we have confidence to live out that higher calling And we see that we're relating to somebody else who also has that higher calling on their lives. We can clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We can bear with each other and forgive one another. We can love and choose to offer submission freely to each other out of reverence for Christ. If we can truly live that out as a community here at UBC, we will be growing deeper into our relationships here, in our homes and with people we come in contact with. I suspect we may individually find ourselves seeing God change lives. When I understand my higher calling, my inheritance as a child of God, somebody called to be holy and part of a royal priesthood, It helps me remember the privilege it is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in every situation I come across. I am called to be salt and light. When I remember this, I don't always remember it, um, I ask myself, how does Jesus need need me to be in this situation, whether that's at home or at work or wherever I am? So I encourage us to see this passage not so much as another set of rules but as a very wise response to how Christians should live in the culture of the day. And our culture we need to understand and we need to understand our higher calling to live as God's holy people in our community. Um, And it starts with our closest relationships. Families are where it's all the hardest. I can be very nice most of the time. I rarely use my patience with my patients at work, but I sometimes lose my patience at home. And so the challenge to live out our calling at home is is a very, very strong one. And um, even though our understanding of the situations we find ourselves in are different, the call to be holy is there. So I guess as we come to a close of that, I I want to take us back to the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossian church in chapter one. I love this prayer and I invite you to look at it again and again and And it's something, if you're wanting to pray for us as a church, it's such a lovely prayer to pray. Um, So with that and our mission and vision and value statements, we have lots of things we can be praying into for each other here for 2021. So I'll read this for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I invite you just to close your eyes and I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord, as we come to you at UBC at the start of 2021, We say thank you for rescuing us, redeeming and forgiving us, for qualifying to be your holy people. We long to step into all that you have called us to, growing deeper in our relationships with Jesus and each other as we love one another. We ask for wisdom as we explore your word and trust the Holy Spirit to transform us. Thank you for your strength which allows us to bear fruit with good works which honour you in all that we do. Amen.